Well, good morning, and no, I'm not Greg Brady. <laughs> uh, it's our pastor, and I'm glad uh, to be able to uh, speak this morning. Um, so I happened to read an article uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the title of the article is Christmas Under Death's Shadow. Uh, the writer's name is Matt McCullough, and he writes, In my experience, if you click on a holiday favorites playlist, you're asking for mental and emotional whiplash. With little warning and no explanation, you'll jump back and forth from rocking around the Christmas tree to silent night, from blue Christmas to joy to the world, from grandma got run over by a reindeer to low how a rose ever blooming. Christmas in American culture is a mish, mish, mishmash of distinctly Christian content and all sorts of accumulated traditions. I, for one, the writer says, am mostly fine with this, but I do wonder if you've noticed one particular difference uh, between old Christmas Christian carols and more recent popular songs. The old songs often refer to death. The new ones rarely do. Consider a few examples, and I have some on the screen. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We sang this uh, this season. There's a verse that says, From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. And then, hark the herald angels sing. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Uh, good Christian men rejoice. Good Christian men rejoice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Peace, peace. Jesus Christ was born to save. And then, lo, how a rose ever blooming. This flower whose fragrance tender with sweetness fills the air, dispels with glorious splendor the darkness everywhere. True man, yet very God, from sin and death, he saves us and lightens every load. Uh, you're not likely to hear that one over the speakers at Walmart when you're doing your shopping. Uh, I want to keep reading from the article. And I, the last part that I want to read is up on the screen. To celebrate these, uh, celebrate Christmas, these old writers emphasize death. Their celebrations didn't make sense without it. To, today, to celebrate Christmas, we avoid death altogether. Our celebrations can't survive its challenge. These differences in their songs and ours reflect major cultural shifts. Those old songs belong to places where death was visible everywhere. They didn't have the freedom many of us have to avoid the subject. I want to read that last line. They didn't have the freedom many of us have to avoid the subject. Uh, I want to point out this article was written in December 2017. I think the author, Matt McCullough, may want to amend this article in light of 2020. I was just looking uh, this morning at uh, 
uh, on Twitter, this gentleman posts, uh, it's called Faces of COVID. And he just shows one picture after another and the story behind the picture of people that have died uh, from the COVID. Now, I want to assure you, uh, this is not a message about COVID-19. But I wanted to point out that this pandemic has created a tremendous amount of fear. Uh, I'm not saying that people should not be afraid or that more people should be afraid or how much fear is warranted. It's not what I want to talk about. But do you know that fear of death is a natural human reaction? Um. It's a normal human reaction. I want you to look even in the Bible. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So the Bible is talking about humanity, humans, that we are afraid of death. And in fact, it describes it as a type of slavery. Uh, and so, so uh, this is a great verse. I love this verse. And when I was uh, uh, writing this verse down, I, I was really focused on the last part of the verse, but then I remembered, uh, then I really looked at the first part. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, this is talking about Jesus, too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. The message this morning is titled, A Matter of Life and Death. And so this is a great verse, this Hebrews verse, to talk about the human condition, uh, how fear of death is part of that condition. I wanted to say this morning, I wanted to talk about what the Bible has to say about death. Say, wow, Pierre, what a way to end 2020. (laughs) What a great message to end the year on, on death. Well, I promise you, though, I'm not only going to talk about death, because the good news is I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about life. Because it's a matter of life and death. And I want to start with death. So the point number one on your, on, your, on your outline, it says, the soul that sins shall die. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, even if you don't know the scriptures very well, you know what happened. Adam and Eve did eat the, did eat the apple, and it's called the fall. Uh, there have been books written about the fall. There have been paintings done about the fall, depicting the fall. Adam and Eve and the serpent and the tree and the, the fruit. Uh, well, what happened? Adam's, Adam's wife, Eve, was deceived. She was deceived by the serpent. And Adam... He was not deceived, the Bible says. He straight up rebelled against God. And and here's the interesting thing. The serpent told Eve, you shall not surely die. 
you know, Satan, well, sometimes he, 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 he will kind of say things, you know, he'll kind of like, he can, he can trick you. But then there are times when he will just write out, contradict what God has said. Because God said, you just read it, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And here Satan said, no, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Well, of course, that was a lie. And not only did Adam and Eve die, but they brought death into the world. And if you continue reading uh, the Old Testament, it's very interesting. Uh, in the, in, when God judged Adam and Eve, he promised, he says to Eve, he says the, that the serpent will, will uh, bruise your heel and you'll, you'll crush its head. This is the very, one of the very first uh, prophecies about Jesus. That Jesus was going to come and his job, yeah, he was going to, Satan was going to attack Jesus and hurt Jesus, but Jesus was going to crush Satan's head. Early on, we have that promise. And so God called Abraham, and I'm not going to go through the whole Bible uh, uh, history, but God called Abraham and he says, I'm going I'm to bless you, but not only am I going to bless you, I'm going to bless uh, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, through the people of Israel. God told him that. And, of course, um, the people of Israel, the children of God, rebelled. And because God loved his children, if you have children, you know this. God loved his people. He disciplined them. As a father disciplines his children, the Lord disciplines his people. Now, as parents, you know this. I'm I'm a marriage and family therapist in it. It's amazing uh, how often I hear this. When parents uh, say what the child has done wrong, the children very often, and, and, and talk about the punishment, the children very often will say that the punishment is not fair, right? Have you heard that before? Parents, right? The punishment is not fair. And not only will they say the punishment is not fair, very often they will not take responsibility for their behavior, well, that, that is what the children of Israel did, or they tried to do that. So when God gave the children of Israel the, the land of Canaan, this was their land. He just said, obey my laws, obey my commands, and I will bless you. I will bless your families. I will bless your fields. I will bless your houses. I will bless you like you would not even believe, and you will be secure in your land. Sounds like a good plan to me. But the children of Israel didn't want that. And God warned them, if they rebelled, if they did not obey his laws, that he would drive them out of the land. Not, he would curse, they would be cursed in the field. They would be cursed in their home. Their field, everything would be cursed. And to top it all off, they would be driven to away from their homes, away from their land, and they'd be exiled somewhere else. And that's what happened. Well, just like children do, you would think that, that these are grown people. You think that they would be humble. You think that they would repent and say, oh, what have we done? But they didn't do that. They did what children do, and they tried to blame someone else. And God set them straight. He spoke to them through the prophet Ezekiel. I want you to look at Ezekiel. He's one of the prophets that prophesied during the Babylonian exile. In this verses 18, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. 
the word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. The, the one who sins is the one who will die. The one who sins is the one who will die. I want to read this quote from uh, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia on how the people of Israel uh, view death. And I have the quote up on the screen. It says, The dread of death was felt much more deeply, therefore, by the Israelites than by ourselves. Death to them was separation from all that they loved, from God, from his service, from his law, from his people, from his land, from all the rich companionship in which they lived. That was what they experienced when I was looking up the meaning for the word death. Because I, I grew up, you know, you probably heard this too, death means separation. Okay, death means separation. And I'm like, I was looking at the word and it actually means, uh, it means to, to, to lie down, to uh, lie, let's say the right word, prostrate, <laughs> to lie down. Why, why do you think that? Well, that's what happens when you die. You just like lay down, right? Well, so that's, that's what happens when we die we, and we never get back up again, right? Well, the Bible is clear that death, though, does result in separation. And this manifests itself in three ways. It is on your, on your sheet there. The first is separation from God. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Look at Isaiah 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So we read earlier that uh, God's warning that if, to Adam, if he ate from the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would die. Well, he didn't physically die in that moment. And maybe that's what Satan was trying to convince Eve. You know, he, he, I don't know if he kind of acted it out like, you ate that apple <laughs> You know, I don't know if he did that and tried to trick her or what. If he would say, oh, dang it. eat the apple and you die? No way. He didn't, he didn't, I don't know if, if that's what he, what he was trying to imply and that's how he tricked her. Because, yeah, that seems silly. I ate this piece of fruit and I die? That doesn't make any sense. Well, they did not die instantly. They didn't die physically. But they were separated from the presence of God. I want you to remember, remember, before the fall, Adam and Eve were in God's very presence. They, they saw him walk around. They could speak to him face to face. Not only did they have everything that they could possibly want, beauty and trees and fruit, and the animals were kind, and, and, and everything was peaceful and beautiful. They had all of that. But after they sinned, God sent them away from the Garden of Eden, away from his presence. You know, it's interesting about the children of Israel when they sinned against God and they 
were sent away from Jerusalem. What was in Jerusalem? The temple. What, was the, what did the temple represent? The temple represented the very presence of God. Sin separates you and me from God. Where we can't hear him. And he can't, he says, I, the Isaiah passage where he says, I will not hear you. I will not hear you. Do you feel disconnected from God this morning? Do you feel empty inside? Does your life lack peace and joy, purpose and meaning? That's what it feels like to be separated from God. We can't truly, we cannot truly have those things apart from God. I want to make a disclaimer. You know, there are times when as Christians we go through dark, dark seasons and where it appears that our prayers are being unanswered. And we, we lack peace. We lack joy. And it doesn't mean that we are living in sin. You say, I, I, Pierre, I, can't, I don't know of anything that I'm doing. I, I, I confess my sins. I don't, God has not convicted me. Well, this is obviously not your case. The story of Job, right? Job was a righteous man. And so there are times when God allows suffering into our lives. He allows depression. He allows anxiety. He allows suffering and sorrow. But it's not because he is separated from us. It's for, some, for reasons that we, we don't often always know. But if you or I feel disconnected from God this morning, you would definitely want to ask yourself, if your sin has separated you from God. So death results in separation from God. Next, it results in separation from others. So Adam and Eve, God gave the command in chapter 2, don't eat from the tree. And Eve ate from the tree, chapter 3. And then chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. Hey, brother, I'm sorry. You know what? kind of jealous of you and you know I, I should be jealous of you I wish that's what happened but it's not so let's go out to the field while they were in the field Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve the first children of Adam and Eve 
And the first parents gave birth to the first murderer. It says Cain was angry because God favored his brother's sacrifice, but not his own. And God warned him. God warned him when he saw that he was angry and his face was downcast. He warned him. If he does what is right, he's going, to be, he's going to be blessed. If he does what is wrong, then sin was ready, crouching at the door. You know, jealousy is a sin. And Cain was jealous of his brother. That sin, the sin of jealousy, separated Cain from his brother. And the separation was so great that Cain did the worst possible thing that you could do to another human being. And take their life. So in my work as a therapist, there's not a day that goes by that I don't see separation between people. Um, sometimes it's very simple. You know, a husband and wife kind of fighting a little bit or mom and dad kind of fighting a little bit. It's kind of more of an emotional separation. But I have seen some extreme examples of separation a husband and a wife who once were so in love and so passionate, passionately wanted to be with each other. And they made a commitment to spend the rest of their lives together. And now they can't even stand to speak to each other. I've seen people, family members cut off from each other. And they haven't spoken to their family in years And to me, it appears that they don't care if they ever speak to them again. What a tragedy. Sin leads to death, which leads to separation from God, separation from others. And finally, it leads to separation from from self. Now, before uh, I read the passage from Luke chapter 15, I want to I just want to sum up um, the story. And Jesus told this story. And he said there was a father who had two sons. And the younger son wanted his inheritance. And he asked his dad, now, back in that day, that would be an insult to anybody. If you're, if you're alive and your child says, I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. That would be uh, an insult. And you might be like, get out of here. You're out of the will, right? Well, it was even more of an insult back then. But the father, it says he sold his property. He didn't have a bank account. Here, let me write you a check. He had to convert land and animals and and whatever else resources he had. He had to convert that to cash. And then he gave him the sun, the gold, or whatever it was. And what did he do? He just ran off. He went off. Now, it's interesting... um, not to, not to knock on young people, <laughs> you know, not to be uh, 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 critical of young people, because there probably are some young people, and, and even in this church, who if they all of a sudden came into a large sum of money, they would probably uh, at least save it, but some of them might even invest it, okay? They're going to they're gonna be, uh, Jack's uh, daughter is one of them. She's She's, she is very careful, and she tells her dad, no, don't be spending money on, on whatever, <laughs> because she knows, you know, that's less. That's less. So she, she, she'll tell him. Uh, but there are, unfortunately, a lot of young people 
who would do what this man did, young man did. And he blew it. And before he knew it, he was out of cash, didn't have any money. And the problem is, he was, gonna look, he was looking for a job. He couldn't even find a job to provide for himself. So what does he do? I say he couldn't find a job. He actually could find a job. It was the worst possible job for someone, for someone of the Jewish culture. Is a job feeding pigs. And if you know anything about uh, Jewish culture and the Jewish faith, pigs are unclean. You can't eat them. You can't touch them. You, you know, they're, they're unclean. Well, he got a job feeding pigs. And you think that would be bad enough, but that wasn't as bad as it got. He was so hungry that he wanted to get in there with the pigs and eat the slop that the pigs were eating. Let's look at Luke 15, verses 17 through 20. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Uh, Several uh, Bible translations, and maybe you have that in your Bible, from Luke chapter 15. It says, when he came to himself. When he came to himself. That's what sin is. Leads to it leads to a separation from ourselves. You know, you you know what that's like. You hear some pastor or some Christian uh, star or some celebrity or whatever, and or even some person you think that they're a person of great faith, and then you hear that they stole or they cheated on their spouse or they were doing drugs or they were you know with uh, uh, prostitutes or whatever, and you think, oh my gosh, and what do we say? That's not like them. That's not like them. But we know, I hope you know, but we know the depths that we have sunk to because of sin. The late Ravi Zacharias said, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So when Adam, Adam and Eve sinned, they, they hid themselves from the presence of God. Uh, so it's that separation. Even before God sent them away, they heard God coming. They ran away. They ran and hid themselves. What did God ask Adam? Where are you? Where are you? God, it's like you ask your child, your, ch- your ch- child's hiding. Where are you? You know where they are. Where are you? Ask you and I this morning, where are we? Are we separated from God? Are we separated from uh, others? Are we separated from ourselves? The soul that sins will die. So when a some of you are thinking, man, I'm a, I'm a Christian, Pierre. I um, asked Jesus to come in my heart and forgive me of my sins. What are you talking about? 
I want to, I want to point out one thing. For Christians, the death we experience is temporary. It's temporary. It's like when your son uh, or your daughter, they, they, they disobey you and, and go to your room. <laughs> that separation. But they're still your son and your daughter and you love them. Even if they run away. Even if they leave and go far away. Even if they turn their back on the Lord, you will always love them. You will always uh, welcome them because, because they're your family. And that's how it is with God. We can be separated as Christians from God, from others, and from ourselves. But it is temporary. It's temporary. If you do not know Jesus, if you have never accepted him into your heart and believed on him and asked him to forgive you and trust in him, your separation will be eternal. Eternal. Thank the Lord. For all of us, there is some good news. And it's point number two. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to say three things about eternal life. The first thing is eternal life is a gift received by faith. You all know, you can probably all quote this verse without even looking at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then Ephesians 2, chapter eight, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, uh, I didn't post, put this verse up there, but you know John one twelve, the opening, one of the, the greatest passages of Scripture, talking about Jesus. In John one twelve, it says, it, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is very simple. The gospel is simple. You must place your faith in Jesus. You must believe that only He can save you. And you, you must believe that His sacrifice on the cross is the only thing that can take away your sins and my sins. And not only take away our sins, but make us righteous before God. Just faith. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we will have eternal life. Eternal life is a gift received by faith. You know, you have a tree and you had your gifts under there and you bought a gift for somebody and you, you, you give that gift to them. Oh, I'm good. I'm okay. I don't know if your love, my love language is gifts. Somebody, oh, hey. <laughs> You've got to receive a gift. You have to receive a gift. Uh, second, eternal life begins now. Uh, this is uh, John eleven twenty one through 27. I want to give the background of this passage. Um, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and he, Lazarus had two sisters. 
Jesus was very close to Lazarus and to this family. And Lazarus gets sick. And so he was very sick. So Mary and Martha sent to let Jesus know, hey, your dear friend, your dear friend is very, very sick. Jesus waited three days. Man, what kind of friend? (laughs) Jesus waited three days. And of course, by the time Jesus arrived, arrived, Lazarus, Lazarus was already dead. And Jesus went to go to the tomb and Martha says, Lord, he's been dead four days. His body is decaying already. It's too late. Let's look at the passage. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Jesus said, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What is he talking about? He's talking about eternal life. Eternal life begins now. Uh, I want to read uh, a definition of, of eternal life. It's by one of my favorite preachers. Charles Spurgeon, and he says it way better than I, I could ever say it. Says many people, when they hear or read that expression, talking about eternal life, suppose that it means heaven. It does mean that, but it means much more. Eternal life begins here. It begins in the believer as soon as he is born again. Then he receives into him that same life which he will have Throughout eternity, eternal life is not a thing of changes. The river widens and deepens, as I showed you this morning. But it is always the same river of the water of life. It always flows from the same source. It is always constituted in the same manner. The life of the newborn Christian, who only a few minutes ago began to pray is precisely the same life which is to be found in those bright spirits that have now been thousands of years in perfection at the right hand of God, praising his name. Death does not transport believers into a new life. It simply rids us of certain impediments that hamper our true life in its upward flow. The life of the Christian here is the triumphant life that is to be be enjoyed hereafter. It is one and the same life so far as its real nature is concerned. If you've lost a loved one and they know the Lord, they're with the Lord or other friends that you know, and they've passed on, guess what? 
that eternal life, that, that quality of life, that nature, the essence is in you and in me. We have it. If we have placed our faith in Jesus, we have the same. We have the same. We have the same type of life. And finally, eternal life will continue after we die. Look at John 14, verses 19, verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. It says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It goes on. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God... He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember the first Easter after my father died. It's 1999. And uh, he died in, on Valentine's Day of 1999. And we were celebrating Easter, and the holidays are always tough. If you've lost a loved one this year, this is a tough time. I'm glad we had the, the blue Christmas service so that we could become, find comfort in that the Lord is with us during this time and certainly with our loved ones. But I read this passage. I take great comfort in this passage and from the passage from, from uh, Corinthians. And I want to assure you, if you have lost a loved one, and if that loved one placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are more alive right now than they have ever been. D.L. Moody, the, the president, the founder of the school that I went to, he says, one day you'll hear D.L. Moody is dead. He said, don't you believe it? I will be more alive at that point than I have ever been. More alive. If you and I have trusted in Jesus Christ to save them, we will see them again. So I talked about uh, the temporary and the eternal. Uh, if you are not a Christian, death, the separation from God, as I, as I mentioned, from others and from yourself will be eternal. I remember uh, seven years ago this month, a good friend of mine uh, died from melanoma. And I remember when he was first diagnosed, he was scared. He was a Christian, but he was really, really scared. And uh, he, was, he was diagnosed in, in March uh, uh, 2012. 
and he took it very seriously. He, he, he went and, and he did the biopsy, and then, and then they, they took the lymph nodes, and, and he was going for his scans. And, and something happened in June of that year, which was about three months after he had been diagnosed. He went for one of those scans, and the, the scan showed a, a, a dot, a dark spot on his brain. The friend's doc, the, my friend's doctor, he says, uh, he's very blunt. He said, you need to see an oncologist. Because my friend was mad. My friend was scared. What are you talking about? Just, just blunt out there. Well, maybe, you know, you need to see an oncologist. My friend went to see another doctor, one of these other doctors. The doctor said, there's nothing to worry about. Just a shadow. A few months later, the cancer had spread throughout my friend's body. And he, was, he would die about nine months after he was first diagnosed. You know, if you and I were diagnosed with COVID, we would take that seriously. Uh, it would be alarming. And it would be wise for us to take it seriously. But I believe that the Lord is telling some of us this morning, that there is a spot on our hearts. And that spot is sin. And that spot will kill us. And we don't have, the good news is we do not have to die. We don't have to live our lives separated from God, from others, and from ourselves. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So don't let 2020 end. All this crazy year, all this focus on the COVID, and I don't want to get COVID, I don't want to get sick. What about, and, and thank goodness, we, we're, we're, we're hopefully turning a corner. But there's something much more dangerous than the COVID. And that is sin, and that will destroy us whether we're a Christian or not a Christian. It will destroy us. So I asked the praise team if they could sing a Christian hymn I learned when I was at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. It's called, Who is He in Yonder Stall? And the hymn starts with, uh, starts with Christmas and ends with Easter. I want to read the first verse, the last verse, and the refrain. Who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Who is he in deep distress fasting in the wilderness? Who is he who from the grave comes to heal and help and save? Who is he that from his throne rules through all the world alone? Tis the Lord, O wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. We humbly bow and crown him, crown him, Lord of all. This morning, 
What are you going to do? Will you and I bow in humility and repentance? Wherever we're, we're Christian, but we have that spot. and We need to confess. and We need to be made right with the Lord, with others, with ourselves. Or if this is the first time, we have to bow at his feet. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you, Lord. We know, Lord, uh, the Christmas is, is season is, is, is technically over, Lord. But, Lord, this is just the beginning. Because over the next few weeks and months, Lord, we'll remember your life. We'll remember the miracles you did. We'll remember the teachings that you spoke. We'll remember being a, that you were arrested, that you were beaten, that you were crucified that you died and you rose again and you ascended to your Father. Lord, we bow before you. Some of us, Lord, need to bow for the first time and admit, Lord, that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves, Lord. Help us, Lord, to grant us the grace, Lord. Grant us the faith to believe and to put our trust in you, Lord, to be forgiven. And Lord, if we've strayed from you, Lord, Help us to come. Help us to come home as the young man did in the story, Lord. Come before you, Lord. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.